You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. When it comes to ministry, I think it's safe to say that this guy, Paul, he was kind of a pro. I mean, literally, he was a pro. It was his, his occupation. It was his vocation. Although, I do really appreciate that my boy Paul was a brother in bivocational ministry and often found himself working to support his ministry, which is awesome. But Paul is, by calling and by vocation, a gospel minister. And so was Timothy. And when you look at the book of 2 Timothy as well as the book of 1 Timothy, it's very clear that this is a, a collection of books designed to help Timothy understand how to be a minister of the gospel, how to be a pastor. And so if you're here this morning and you're either wrestling with or feel a calling towards, a pulling towards, or have answered a call into vocational ministry, these two books are a necessity for study. But this isn't just a letter for the pros. This isn't just a letter for the professionals or for church leadership, if we want to use that terminology. When we were going through the book of Revelation, we saw multiple times the importance of recognizing the church with a capital C, all Christians, all individual believers, making up a kingdom of priests. This idea of the priesthood of all believers, that every follower of Jesus, man, woman, and child, is called to be a minister of the gospel. And so because of that, when we look at Paul's letters to Timothy, not only do we see instructions for pastors and elders and deacons, not only do we see guidance for how the church should function, but we also see a universality to this teaching concerning ministry. And in verses one and two of chapter two, Paul says, you then my child be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. As we continue through this book, Paul is about to lay out some pretty difficult guidelines for ministry. And so it's crucial for him to remind Timothy of the source and the strength of that calling, not just professionally, but as a follower of Christ. He says, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And from what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach to others also. Paul says this ministry was given to us by Christ through the gospel and it's strengthened and encouraged and supported by the church as a whole. And so you may be here this morning and you may be thinking when it comes to ministry, I'm just going to leave that to the professionals. I'm just going to that, leave that to the people who have these, these clear giftednesses for ministry because I could never get up in front of people. I could never, I don't have any musical talent. I don't have any special giftedness when it comes to speaking. I'm a fairly bashful person and I don't like having conversations. Maybe I'm not physically strong and so I can't go out and do some of these other things. I'm not like this person. I'm not like pastor so-and-so. I'm not like this worship leader. I don't have these noticeable gifts and skills and I don't have this vocational call to ministry. And so surely I'm just supposed to sit back and kind of consume 
Or maybe you, be, maybe you might be sitting there this morning saying, I've done so many things. There's no way I could be a minister of the gospel. There's no way I could, could live out this ministry because of, of who I am and what I've done. And the people around me, they know the places I've been. They know the things that I've said. They know the things that I've done. There's no way that I could possibly be qualified to be a minister of the gospel. But ministry isn't a skills-based occupation, but it is a grace-fueled mission established by God through the gospel, calling people who are by nature unworthy and making us worthy to walk in these good works. And then it's confirmed and taught to us by the church and by those spiritual mothers and fathers who lead us and guide us and encourage us. And then it is the accomplished work of every follower of Christ. At least it should be. But before we get about the work of ministry, we need to get in the mindset of ministry. And so that's where Paul begins here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, telling Timothy through a series of analogies how to have the mind of a minister so that we can go out and do the work of ministry. And so if you would look with me here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the beauty of your calling. When it came to doing the work of the church and the work of the ministry, you didn't just call a few special people out as professionals to do all the work, but that you've called us to be a kingdom of priests. God, we thank you for the ministry of the church and elders and deacons and pastors who lead and guide and encourage. God, even more so, we thank you that you have given each person, each follower of Christ, gifts and skills necessary for the furtherance of the gospel and the good of the ministry of the church. And so God, we just ask this morning that you teach us to have a mindset and a mentality ready for ministry, that you would sharpen our focus, establish a virtue deep within us, and help us to recognize the beautiful reward that comes in serving and glorifying you. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before we get started, last week, I just decided 
I couldn't sit down any longer. It was driving me crazy to sit on a stool. And so I wanted to stand so I could just, I feel like I just have more energy when I stand. But apparently I have a lot more energy when I stand. Cause when I went back and watched some of the video, I was doing this odd hip sway through the entire thing. And so if that was distracting to you, or if you found it provocative and awkward, I'm very, very sorry. And so I'm gonna try really hard because I like to maintain a somewhat puritanical modesty about myself. And so I'm gonna try very hard to keep my hips still but I can't make any promises. But as Paul leads us into this passage of scripture here, the first thing he tells Timothy when it comes to having this mindset of ministry and mission is that we need to have a soldier's focus. Now, I feel almost certain I've, I've talked about this before, but it's just ingrained in my mind. There was a little, I guess, a, a TV, made-for-TV documentary on the History Channel or one of those kind of channels a long time ago that I was watching about Navy SEAL training, which obviously I have no familiarity with. But I was watching this and I was going through all the things that they do. And there was this one particular part of their training that just honestly horrified me. It was this long, I don't remember the distance. It was probably hundreds of miles or something. These guys had to carry this giant log. And so they pick up the log and they carry it all through a trail. And I love hiking. I love trail running. I love mountain biking. I love being on trails, but not carrying giant logs with other people. And so they carry this giant log for miles and miles and miles. They carry it down a beach through the sand. They get out in the ocean and swim out with it, stay out in the sea in some horrible, horrible amount of time, and then swim back and carry the log all the way back. And in addition to being just excruciating from a strength perspective, it also had some really unique physical effects. One of which was because of the constant walking and the straining, because of all of the dirt and the sand and the salt water, the inside of these guys' legs would become so chafed and callous that they would develop scar tissue. And that is a feeling that I would never, ever like to experience. And it requires just a different level of commitment. It requires an uncanny, single-minded dedication to a cause to go to that kind of length, right? A lot of times when we think about soldiers, or at least caricatures of soldiers, and you were to start listing off some of the characteristics, especially from a cartoony kind of perspective, you would think of strength and vigor and bravery and endurance. You may think of a victory and combat and aggression. But when Paul is talking about ministry here, and he makes this reference to a soldier, he tells Timothy that you need to have a soldier's focus. Look at what he says in verse four. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, I don't think I have to tell you this, but we live in a world filled with distractions. And that's not new. Distractions were just as prevalent in Paul's day, but we, I feel like we have more and we have a much greater diversity of distraction, even in quarantine and social distancing. One of the things you hear a lot is that people had this expectation going into a time when you were kind of shut in your house for those who weren't able to get out and go to work and all these things that you were just going to start checking off things off your list. And maybe you got some of them. 
But I heard a lot of people saying, I'd plan to do this and this and this, but then, I don't know, I got deep in this Netflix show, and then I was doing this, and I kind of ended up doing all these things, and I never got any of this stuff done on the list because I was just so distracted, even when everything around me seemed to shut down. But the Christian life is one that requires focus, a single-minded focus on Christ and on the gospel. And so, of course, what Paul is telling us here is that we need to have Christian music, Christian movies, Christian schools, Christian leagues. We need to have a compound built around the church. So basically we all just stay inside of the church all of the time so that we can't get out, so that we can't be distracted, so that we have no choice but to be isolated and focused. No, of course not. That's not what Paul is saying at all. That's not the life that Paul lived. This isn't a call for Christians to be isolationists or separatists or even specialists. But it's a call to be able to keep our focus on Christ and his mission anywhere we go and while we're doing anything. You see, we're all called to different aspects of life, different jobs, We have families and homes. We have hobbies. We have skills. We have things that we have to do and things that we have to participate in. And all the things that make up the different sections of our lives have within them things that can become little gods that we seek to please above all else. Maybe it's an employer, a spouse, maybe our children, maybe our parents. Things that are by nature good, yet we can take them and put them in an improper place. Maybe it's a certain level of skill, a certain level of fame, a certain financial prosperity, certain grades, whatever the case may be, all these things in our lives are screaming for our attention. And if we take our focus and we put it sharply in one area, what's going to happen is not only do we start following and worshiping a false God, but we naturally move out of a lifestyle and a pattern of ministry. But the aim of the Christian life as Paul says here, is to please the one who enlisted us. And it's Christ that saves us. It's the grace of Jesus that draws us into a relationship with God. And so the Christian life is for God's glory alone. It's our desire, at least it should be, to please God above all else. And that means that it's our desire to please God in the way that we work at our jobs. It's our desire to please God the way that we put forth an effort in school. It's our job to please God as husbands and wives, as children and as parents. It's our job to please God with every skill and gift that he's given us. And when we take this mentality of pleasing God above all else, when we focus our hearts and our minds on glorifying him in every aspect and avenue of our lives, what's going to happen is that heart and that, that heart and that mindset of ministry is going to lead our hands to doing the work of Christ. And so no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter where we find ourselves, Our mindset has to be, how am I going to glorify God in this? Whether I'm eating or drinking, whether I'm coming or going, whether I'm working or resting, how am I going to please my God that saved me? And when that's our mindset, when that's our focus, when we have that single-mindedness in our life's purpose to glorify God, we will find ourselves naturally 
being ministers of the gospel because we'll want to use every single thing and every single opportunity as an act of worship, service, and gospel proclamation. And so we have to have a soldier's focus. But we also have to have an athlete's integrity. In verse 5 here, he says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, maybe, especially if you're a particularly cynical person, when you say the word athlete, integrity might not always be the thing that comes next. Because so many of the stories that we see coming out of the sports world are often stories of impropriety and, and a lack of integrity. But you see what happens when particularly famous or well-established or highly regarded athletes are found out to be cheaters. When you think about something like the Lance Armstrong scandal, when you think about, I don't even like baseball, but I sure know a lot about some of the last couple years with these baseball teams who are winning World Series, but were cheating by using technology to steal signs, which I don't really know why that's that big of a deal. Like, just be better. I don't know how baseball works. It's weird. But apparently you can't do that. And all of a sudden it was a disgrace over the entirety of the Major League Baseball seasons. Thinking about something like Tim Donaghy. A few years ago in the NBA, a referee who was shaving off points so that he could bring financial gain to himself and adjusting the outcome of games by the way that he called them. And all of a sudden it cast a cloud over the NBA, which I do love, for several seasons with people being afraid that the games were fixed. And so when that kind of cheating and impropriety comes into sports, it takes all of the accomplishments, no matter how great they may be, and just wipes them away. And that becomes what you're known for. One of the core tenets in Christianity that I don't think we talk about enough is virtue. And I don't think we talk about it enough because especially in American Christianity, what we've done is we've replaced Christian virtue with a more American morality. And in that kind of morality, what we find ourselves doing is we do the right things, we stay away from the things we, st we should stay away from. We do the things that we think we're supposed to do, but we only do it because we think that we should. We only do it because we think that's what's expected of us. And whether it comes from a legalism of wanting to be better than our neighbors or some sort of slavish obligation, thinking if we just work hard enough, maybe God will love us a little more. Whatever the case may be, we find ourselves doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. And that often leads to bitterness and resentment of the work of ministry. But in verse five, Paul says that an athlete isn't crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And for a follower of Christ, that means not simply going through the motions of ministry, but having the heart of a minister. When it comes to ministry, we can't absolutely check all the boxes we can do all the right things, follow all the right steps. We can even complete the task. We can come to God and we can say, look, look at all these things I've done. Look at all these places where I'm serving. Look at all the ministry that I've accomplished. We can even see good results come from that ministry. Think about Jonah and the story of Jonah where we see nothing but positives follow behind him. Pagan sailors, an entire pagan city saved from God's destruction and honoring and worshiping God and Jonah finding himself on the other side, absolutely miserable from the work that he's done. 
And so we can certainly do that, check all the boxes and completely miss the heart of ministry. And so we need to be the kind of people who minister by the book. That we go to scripture to learn how to worship, to learn how to commune with one another, to learn how to serve, to learn how to love, and to learn how to minister not only in the right way, but how to do so with the right heart. So that we can be sure that one day we'll look back on our lives. More importantly, that God will look back on our lives and we'll be able to see how not only did we do the work of ministry, but that God was glorified through everything that we've done and that lives were changed by the work that we've done. And we'll be able to look back on it, not begrudgingly, not bitterly, but with great joy. And then we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will be crowned by the God of heaven because we followed after him and ministered for him through good Christian virtue where our heart matched our hands. And so we need to have a soldier's focus, an athlete's integrity. And then finally, Paul tells us to have a farmer's reward. He said, it's the hardworking farmer in verse six who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now, if you come to Redeeming Grace Community Church and you want a good agricultural analogy to the gospel, there's only one person that you need to go to, and that's Lee Phillips. And he can take anything out in nature and just so beautifully just connect it to God and the gospel. And one of the things that really stands out to me when we first started planting our little garden out here in front of our house, as he told me, he said, you know, one day you're going to do all this hard work and you're going to put this stuff in the ground, but you're going to come out next season. And that first fruit is going to come off of that bush or come off of that tree. And you're going to walk straight out your door in the morning and you'll feel the cool of the morning. And you can walk right to that fig tree and just pull a fig off and eat it. And he said, I don't know, man, it just tastes so much sweeter when it comes off your own tree. And we found that to be true with ours. It's exciting to watch the trees and the bushes begin to green at the beginning of spring. And then you see those little flowers begin to pop out and those flowers turn into green buds and those green buds start to change color and turn into blueberries. And you just wait day after day for those blueberries to ripen until that moment when you know they're ready to be eaten. And for us, that's a pretty exciting day. The girls rush out to the bushes once we're finally able to start eating these things because we want to get that first fruit off the tree to remember what it tastes like and to experience that goodness. But no one's ever fighting over the last fruit on the tree. That last fig that's been stung repeatedly by wasps, that last strawberry that has two bites taken out of it by a squirrel who uses one of our rocks as a restaurant. Every day, all throughout the summer, we'll come out and there's scraps from nuts, scraps from, well, I say scraps, most of an entire strawberry with, again, one bite out of it and maybe some leaves. And he just leaves the trash there for me to pick up like I'm the squirrel's bus boy. It's insulting. But no one's ever fighting over that last piece of fruit that's just barely hanging on and starting to rot out. But sometimes when it comes to the Christian life, we kind of do all of that in reverse. And you can tell that that's true for a lot of us because of the way that we talk about ministry, particularly how we talk about people that we don't think are doing it like we are. And you hear this a lot in church. Maybe you've heard someone say this to you. Maybe you've said this yourself. 
But you look around and you think, I do all this work. I'm on all these different ministry teams. I give. I'm faithful in my attendance. I go above and beyond what's requested or called upon me. I try to make sure that I'm living my life with integrity. I follow all the rules. I do all the right things. And then here's this joker that comes to church once every five or six weeks, doesn't do anything for the gospel, just kind of sits here and takes everything in. I don't know that he's ever shared his faith. I don't know that she's ever gone anywhere that she's supposed to do. Just very much consuming here. And I'm supposed to believe that they get the same reward as me? Absolutely not. That's not fair. But Paul here, he says that farming is hard work, but also that it's incredibly rewarding. He says the hardworking farmer should get the reward of the first crops to be able to taste that first fruit, to be able to take that vegetable off the vine and eat it in its most ripe and pure form directly from the source, not having to wait on it to travel anywhere, not frozen, not any sort of processing. That farmer gets to taste the fruit or taste the vegetable, taste that crop as purely as it possibly could be. And it makes all of that hard work worth it. I don't want to downplay the difficulty that can come in ministry whether it's vocationally working for a church or just serving as the church. There can be times and seasons where ministry is very hard. But too often, and I see this all the way from pastors to every member of the, the, the pews, too often we allow the difficult parts of our work for ministry to feel miserable when it's actually beautiful. You see, we rightly think a lot about our future reward as followers of Christ. But we have a tendency to think that everything that we do here and now is just trying to earn that reward. But the truth is, if you're a follower of Christ, your reward doesn't begin with death. We're told over and over again in the New Testament that we experience the first fruit of salvation right now. And part of that reward is our work. The fact that we do get to honor and serve and glorify God. The fact that he does enlist us in proclaiming the gospel and loving our neighbors and caring for those who are in need in our society, for lifting up the oppressed and standing against injustice, for telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. This work that can be messy and difficult and clunky and awkward and hard and emotionally, spiritually and physically exhausting. It is good work. It helps us to live out our purpose. But not only that, but it makes us more and more like Christ every single day. It draws us nearer and nearer to God. And so we need to be the kind of people that find joy in our calling. We need to be the kind of people who focus in our worship. And all of this should help us see the rewarding nature of our ministry. To not look at the things that we're called to do as a burden, but recognize them as an act of worship, but also as part of this abundant life that God has given us. It's hard work, but it's good work, pointing us towards an even better rest that's to come. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in a season of joyless ministry, whether you're 
new in your faith, been walking with Christ for a long time, member and serving in a church, small group leader, deacon, elder, or pastor, if you're finding yourself in a season where the ministry feels joyless, I want you to ask yourself, am I remembering to taste the first fruit? Am I remembering the beauty of the gospel that saved me? Am I remembering that I'm not working to earn God's favor, but he's already lavished his love on me and I'm just getting to walk in the steps that he created for me before the foundation of the world? Am I remembering that my work has eternal ramifications? Am I remembering the profound nature of the gospel that saved me and the fact that the Holy Spirit is now residing in me and working through me? Am I finding the joy and the beauty and the fact that I get to taste heaven right here and right now? We need to be ministers of the gospel. And this requires that we have a soldier's focus, recognizing that God's glory is the primary objective of the Christian we need to have an athlete's integrity, not cutting corners, not using our ministry for personal gain or unethical treatment of other people, but learning how to minister from the word and asking God to align our heart and our hands that we would do the right things for the right reasons. And then we need to recognize the reward that we're experiencing right here and right now, knowing we have an even greater reward to come on the other side of eternity. But right here and right now, the things that God allows us to participate as his ministers, it is good, beautiful, overwhelmingly awesome work. And we need to find joy in that individually and as a church. When the work may seem long, when the work may seem arduous, when the work may produce some inner feelings of bitterness, we need to fight those things and recognize no matter what's going on around me, no matter what other people's lives may look like, no matter what other churches' lives may look like, God has called us to a purpose and to a mission, and it is good and rightly fitted for us, and we can find joy upon joy upon joy in being ministers of the gospel. And so let's be the kind of people that have a mindset for ministry, honoring and glorifying God in everything we do, loving our neighbors as ourselves and finding joy all along the way. Let's pray. Father God, we confess to you the times when we've looked at ministry as a burden, when we've done it begrudgingly, arguing, complaining, griping. God, we thank you that you're, you're still faithful to us even when we do things for the wrong reasons. And that we have the promise that even when the gospel is preached in vain, that you are going to use it and work it for your good, your glory, and the good of those around us. But God, we, we don't want to be that kind of people. We want to be the kind of people who find joy in ministry. We want to be the kind of people who work for your glory and for the good of those around us and for the spreading of the gospel. And so God, teach us to focus. 
no matter what our day-to-day calling may be, no matter what our vocation and occupation may be, no matter what our hobbies and family lives may look like, God, I pray that above all, we would have a single focus on bringing you all the honor and glory and praise. God, that we would minister with integrity and virtue, keeping our hearts pure so that our work will be too. And that, Father, as you lead us and guide us through ministry, even in the seasons when it's hard, even in the seasons where it feels like death, that we would find joy in those times. And that you would remind us to taste the first fruits of our salvation that you've given us through your spirit, that you would, as the psalmist asks, restore us to the joy of our salvation. And then, God, we pray that one day you would show us in full that our labor was not in vain and we would see the fullness of what you've done in and through us as your church with every single follower of Christ being a minister of the gospel. So I pray that over each and every one of us individually and also as our church and all the churches who are meeting this morning all over the world, that we would have that kind of of mentality towards ministry and that you would use that to motivate us in to changing the world through the gospel. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.